welcome back to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Sakara Bell. This is our look at all aspects of the women's game domestically and internationally. Well, it's been a big week across the world of women's football and we're here to cover it all for you. Coming up on this episode, Team GB announced their new leader. Chelsea and Man City progressed in the Champions League and the progression of women's football in India. Joining me today is sports PR and women's football fan, Beth McHugh. Hi, Beth. How are you today? Yeah, I'm not bad, thanks. Uh, good to be here. And sports journalist, Ailsa Cowan. Hi, Ailsa. Great to have you on today as well. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. Well, some exciting news has just been announced. Heger Risa will lead Team GB at the Tokyo Olympics. She says she's honoured, happy and humbled. Reese's appointment came after consultation with senior Lionesses players and she believes Team GB have the possibility of bringing home the gold. Beth, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts on Hegarisa being announced as the head coach for Team GB? I think it definitely makes sense, um, especially when you consider there's no head coach of Wales or Scotland at the moment and Serena Weidman won't be taking over until September so in terms of con- continuity, yeah, it definitely makes sense for her to be in charge. It's pretty hard to judge given that she only has been in charge for one Lionesses camp and it was a pretty routine win against Northern Ireland. But it, unless you're going to take Casey Stoney or Emma Hayes out of their club roles, I don't really think there was another option. So definitely a, a smart decision from, um, from the home FAs. And Ailsa, it looks like the bulk of the team at GB will be English. Do you think there should be an even spread? As we know, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have some very talented players who could make that squad as well. I think that's a really interesting point because really I think people always get quite bogged down with Team GB as to how many English-British players are actually in it and maybe girls from Wales and Scotland can lose out a little bit. But... I think it's all yeah. just depends on the talent that's a, that's available, really. If there's one one girl from Scotland, like for the likes of Caroline Weir, who's like really shining at the moment, if they want her in the team, completely go for it. I think it is really based on the talent that is available. But I think it would be nice to see a bit more of a mixture because I think we are quite guilty in the past of not having um, a great mixture in the Team GB team. I think there's been a couple of comments in the yeah. past where people are like team GB um, it's not you know it's not very well mixed there's not um, as many different players in there that there could be but I do think it is something that they need to look at in the future. Yeah definitely I, I think they're announcing the rest of the team this week so well, it'll be interesting to see that's for sure. Beth do you think that it's good that the Lionesses have had a say in the appointment of Resale or do you think the decision should have been made more independently? Um, I think going back to what we discussed before like there just there, there wasn't another sensible option I think it yeah it, it's not often that the three main home nations um, don't have head coaches it it makes sense to, the bulk of the squad will be made up of Lionesses players it makes sense to build the squad around them and it makes sense that yeah they'll have a say in who it should be um yeah it was, it was just a common sense decision so no I, I don't think it's surprising that um senior lioness has had their say as well Ailsa do you think team GB have more of a, more of an advantage now that Risa will be leading the way I do think he will just because of the experience that she's got and the other national teams that she's been involved with I do think the I think they've been sort of wanting a female coach for quite a long time I think um, I know they've obviously had them in the past, but 
And then off the back of Phil Neville being in charge, and I know we're talking about Team GB rather as well, but um, I do think she's a really experienced head to have in among them all. And if the likes of the likes of probably like Steph Horton and Jill Scott, if they have said, look, we, we, we think she's definitely up to it and we think she can lead us to hopefully victory, <laughs> um, which I know yeah. is something we'd all like to see. Um, then, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for her, really. She's not someone who I'm very sort of um, aware of or someone that um, she's not a name that would come straight to my head for the job, but obviously they've got the right people looking for the right person to do it and we can all support her as as time goes on of course and and just on that note um she did win at the 2000 olympics so she brought home the gold so hopefully that can um give the team gb some support in that way and beth obviously we have to watch team usa but do you think team gb can possibly bring home the gold no, unfortunately, it pains me to say it, but no, no one's taking that out of the hands yeah. of the national team. I think if you look at the players that aren't going to make their 18 as well, it, it's shocking. Like Rose Lavelle might not make it, or players like Christy Mews, who've had an incredible past 12 months and um, have worked their way back into the picture, still might not make it. And that's not even taking into account the incredible um, young players like Sophia Smith that they've got coming up as well. Um, yeah, the, there's no way the US women's national team, I think, won't win it. But we are very lucky with Team GB that it's an incredible pool of players to pick from. Um, and I actually, I don't envy uh, Reza at all. She's got an incredibly difficult decision on her hands. How you narrow our squad down to 18 players across four home nations, it's a very difficult task. Yeah, I don't envy Reza at all. I'm sure no one does. And the draw for the Olympic tournament will be held on the 21st of April. In midweek action now, Birmingham City were comfortably beaten at home by Everton for nil. Some controversy before the game as Birmingham goalkeeper Hannah Hampson was told just 90 minutes before kickoff that she wouldn't be included in the Team GB squad in the summer. It was a decision which boss Carla Ward said was unacceptable and that it clearly affected the players. Everton manager Willie Kirk, who had two players told they were selected and two others informed that they were left out, agreed that communication was very poor. Beth, Carla Ward stated after the game that receiving this news 90 minutes before kickoff was un- unacceptable. I think most people would agree on that for sure. But do you think this, this played any part in the result or do you think Everton were just too strong an outfit for Birmingham? I think it definitely, um, it, there's, there's no way it couldn't have had an effect. I, I, I saw people saying on Twitter it was either a case of A, very careless timing or B, whoever gave the decision just seemed to forget that the Birmingham and Everton players would be playing in an hour and a half time, which is unfathomable, but it potentially was the case, which, yeah, it's horrible to think in this day and age that that could have, that could have been what happened. Um, but Hannah Hampton is an incredibly promising young goalkeeper. And yeah, she didn't have a great game. I mean, she's, she's so young as well. I, I feel like there's probably no way it didn't have an effect on her and it didn't affect her performance, as Carla Ward said. It was definitely a great win for Everton. That has now taken them to 25 points. But clearly it was overshadowed by what happened before the game. What did you make of it all? I think it was, I think it was quite sort of thoughtless and careless that they released that news out to the players at that time, just before a league game. Um, like... Um, Carla Ward said afterwards, it wouldn't you would never see that happen for a Champions League game. So why should it happen 
before your regular fixtures really is it almost the yeah. backhanded com- sort of a backhanded comment that it's not as important or something like that I don't, I don't know but um I just hope it's something that FA can maybe learn from and that it doesn't dishearten the likes of the young goalkeeper Hampton who then went on to have I feel bad saying a bad game because I'm not surprised she had a bad game. She got news like that, really. Um, I can't imagine what it must have been like to then go after standing goal when you've just received that news. A bit ahead was just like on the spin. I do, I really do feel for her. And obviously, it wasn't just her. There was a couple of other players that got that news as well. But um, I just hope that yeah, it doesn't like dishearten her or any other players in any way because they're still young. There's still plenty of time, and you don't know when you're call-up could be for England, really. And just on that note, Beth, I mean, can we really blame Hannah? The poor thing, she was left in floods of tears and then, like we just said, she she tried to, to give a great performance, which unfortunately just didn't happen. Do you think there's any further action that the FA need to take? Um, I think, I think to be fair to them, they did come out immediately and hold their hands up and just say it was a massive error. Um, yeah, so I mean, fair play for admitting that it, it was a mistake. Um, that's always the first step in solving a mistake. Um, it's it's just another careless act though that you would hope wouldn't be happening. I saw the this week as well they confused Beth Mead with Beth England and yeah from your from your football governing body it's not really what you want to see happening. We'll take a look at the Champions League now. Both Chelsea and Man City made it through the quarter finals as expected. Both teams had held comfortable leads from the first leg. Chelsea's game was played in Monza, Italy, due to COVID travel restrictions. England's Tony Duggan missed an opportunity to get Atletico back in the tie, but hit the bar. That's the third penalty they have missed over two legs. Marion Milder scored her second penalty of the tie, and Emmeline Lauren, injury time equaliser, was a little consolation for Atletico. Man City cruised through with a 5-0 win to win 8-0 on aggregate. Caroline Weir opened the scoring and a brace apiece for Ellen White and Sam Mewis ensured an easy afternoon for City in Florence. The other ties saw Brondby cause Leon a scare as he took the lead before Nikita Paris was amongst the scorers. The current champions ran out 5-1 winners on aggregate. Barcelona, Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg all made it through comfortably. The quarterfinal draw is Man City face Barcelona, Chelsea face Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich face Rosengard, and Lyon face the winner of Sparta Prague and PSG, the second leg of which will take place next week. Ailsa, City and Chelsea got the job done as we would expect, but Chelsea, maybe they needed a little bit more luck, do you think? Um, In terms of luck, I think... Chelsea and City have both done really, really well in the Champions League this season. Like City boss Gareth Taylor said after the game that they're wanting to move on and progress further and they want to be in the later stages of these competitions now because they are, you know, they're a very well-established team. They've got players coming over from America wanting to play for them. They've got one of the best squads that we've seen in recent years. And but so so have Chelsea as well. Um, I don't think um we're in a position to really try and say who would win it and who we should maybe really write off as like not being able to win it like Chelsea today they won they won the league cup like they're probably absolutely buzzing off that so but yeah Chelsea have had um a bit of a mixed run in the past and maybe not quite as good if you can say that of cities in the Champions League 
But um, I do think either side are a good contender this year, definitely. And Beth, Man City were relentless as always, weren't they? Yeah, they, they absolutely were. I think this, this round was interesting because Man City were all guns blazing, powered all the way through, but Chelsea really struggled and were nowhere near at their best, um, but still managed to get through and on the scoreline in the end, even look comfortable. But I think in that game, you rely on your big leaders and you rely on your big players. And who was the player that got them through? It was Marin Mielder, who now sadly looks like she's going to be on the sidelines for for a good few months at least. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting in the next round. I, I do agree. I think Leon, look, they don't look untouchable this year. Wolfsburg are now missing Pinilla Harder. Um, we very much could see an English team in the final, um, which would be brilliant. And I think on the European stage, the English game hasn't really matched up to the levels that we'd all want over the past few years. So, yeah, definitely this year could be Chelsea's, it could be Man City's. Chelsea didn't have long to recover before heading to the Conti Cup final at Watford's Vicarage Road, where they took on Bristol at Bristol City side. They were buoyant after moving off the bottom of the WSL table last Monday after a brilliant come-from-behind win over Reading. Interim manager Matt Beard said he was expecting a tough game, but they aren't going to make up the numbers. They probably felt like spectators in the first half. Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby both bagged braces as they were 4-0 up just after 34 minutes. Despite Bristol making more of a game of it in the second half, Kerr grabbed her hat-trick and Guru Wrighton added a sixth. Only downside for Chelsea was losing Marin Milda to a serious-looking knee injury. Elsa Emma Hayes praised her side levels. She said to keep the performance up all the time is so difficult, but they're doing it, though, aren't they? They certainly are. Um, they've got so many games and so many different competitions at the moment going on, and especially I thought they did really well today to keep to keep playing at such a high standard that they had been, especially when one of the players gets taken off like that. I saw... Um, a couple of journalists putting on Twitter that they could hear her like screaming while she was rolling around on the floor. And I can't imagine that's nice for anyone to hear, especially when you then win the game and you, you can celebrate at the end. But like you saw, the Chelsea players, they didn't really. Um, it was all, almost quite toned down, which almost, I bet that was just a bizarre experience as well. Like it was strange enough that there was no fans in there. It's just like everything's sort of take, taken out of it a little bit for them. But there's, there's nothing you can do about it. And like Hayes said at the end, um, they are playing at such a high standard, at such a high intensity at the moment. And this is the eighth major trophy Chelsea have won under her as well. So um, whatever she's doing, it's definitely working. Beth, Kerr said that Kirby is so easy to play with. She also warned Chelsea aren't stopping there. Omnious words, isn't it? I mean, the two of them today were just absolutely incredible. I felt privileged just to watch them. Um, Fran Kirby is in the form of her life right now. I think she's in the form that anyone has ever been in. The only performance I can remember that it's comparable to was Viviana Miedemar against um, against Bristol when she scored six goals and set up four others. Um, but in a cut final to put in that display where Chelsea scored six and Fran Kirby had a hand in every single one of them. I, d- I don't think it's a push to say right now on form, she is the best player in the world. Um, and the link-up play between her and Sam Kerr is just absolutely insane. And it's keeping Beth England on the bench. He was, he would walk into any starting 11, 12 months ago. So yeah, Chelsea are just frightening at the moment. And today they were relentless and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't have Beth England. They didn't have Penilla Harder. It wasn't even a full strength. To, it wasn't even a full strength team. Um, and they just annihilated Bristol. They were incredible. 
Um, and I think they showed a lot of class at the end as well. It was obviously a horrible, horrible moment, but the way that they made sure Mielda was still part of the celebrations. Um, yeah, overall, all around, it was just, yeah, class across the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kerr and Kirby, they're the fearsome duo, I think, definitely. I also, Matt Beard was frustrated and he said he felt the occasion got to his team. They'll learn from this though, won't they? Getting to play in a League Cup final against such a massive team like Chelsea, there's that all they can do is take it as a massive learning curve and they are having a fantastic season and they've got some brilliant players and they're definitely not, they shouldn't be disregarded just because they lost 6-0 definitely. I think uh, it is quite hard sometimes to take a big defeat like that in a big competition when I can imagine they were very excited for it because you, you never know with big games like this, they could have come away maybe not with a win but it could have been a really close game like 2-1 or something like that. It could have gone to penalties which... You know, everyone hates. <laughs> but um, I just don't, yeah, Bristol, they can't be written off just, just for the defeat. And Matt Beard was very gracious by it at the end, I thought. And just on that note, I mean, they had a great win last week against Reading. They've they've just got to build on that rather than let this defeat get to them because they've given themselves a great chance of survival. Definitely. Um, they, they need to just carry on this run from being in like a league cup final into their actual into the league as well because it's just two completely different competitions for them I think it's two completely different mindsets that you need to be in and it's two completely different it's just it's such a different competition and they just need to be able to switch and just go back into the next game and think right that's done we need to carry on with the rest of the season now and get as get as many wins as many good results and as many points as we can so they can so they can stay so they can stay up and so they can have a good season really coming up we'll look at the one WSL game that took place on Sunday and a huge day in the championship title race <sighs> so let's talk about you Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free One U Couch to 5K app now, because there's only one you. Reading's frustrating season continued as they drew a nil-nil at home to Tottenham Hotspur. Reading will have wanted bounce back after that defeat to Bristol City last Monday, but despite having 13 shots at goal, they only have three on target. Beth, Reading are the mystery this season, aren't they? They do well against the better teams, but then they seem to struggle against the teams that they feel like they should be beating. Yeah, absolutely. They are the definition of um, blowing hot and cold. One week, they it looks like they could beat anyone in the top three, top four. And then the next week, yeah, they could lose to the bottom of the table. It, it's an interesting season. And I think they've shown that when they're on their day, they have the quality and they can beat people. Um, it is interesting that they just can't turn these results around against the teams below them. But it's it's definitely a season of progress. They're really establishing themselves as one of those mid-table teams. The challenge next season, I imagine, will be consistency and how do they ensure that they're putting in these performances week after week and they're not blowing hot and cold. Also, a good point for, for Spurs, wasn't it? They stopped the rot after four straight defeats. Spurs piled on quite a lot of pressure late on to try and sort of snatch a win from it. But Redding did really, really well to sort of fight them off, I thought. And the Reading goalkeeper, Grace um, 
Maloney, she did really, really well as well. She had a great game from the from um, the highlights that I saw of it. Um, Spurs are a massive team to come up against, especially. And Reading have established themselves, like Beth said, really well this season. They are one of them teams that um, can snatch points off the big players as well. And I think um, they've got the most draws this season as well. So, yeah, they did really well today. In the Championship, it was a midday kickoff as the top two met in the North East as second place Durham, who were unbeaten going into this game, hosted Leicester City. It was a tight first half, but the second half was just a minute old when Samantha Tierney broke the deadlock and she added a second on the hour mark to secure a massive three points and open a three-point gap at the top of the table. Beth, a massive win for the Foxes. Do you think this is one foot in the WSL for them? It's definitely a good sign, but no, I think three points is not is not anywhere near a big enough a gap to say you've got one foot in promotion. Um, it's, a, it's a close race, it's a close title race and it'll make for a good end of the season. But yeah, definitely an important win and it's it's where you want to be with only a few games to go for sure. Ailsa, the big thing for Leicester is that they get goals from all over, don't they? They really do. Um, they're scoring a lot of goals this season and especially with they are like a fully professional team and you can tell and... When they're playing against teams like Durham, who are part-time, you can tell there maybe is a slight sort of difference between sort of the quality. And in terms of um, the goals as well, you can tell they have a lot of time together so they can work on things like the set plays to get more goals in and even just knowing the flow of the game and knowing when that person is going to be there so they can get all them goals in. But they are they are doing really, really well this season, definitely. Beth, a massive blow for Durham. They need they need to recover quickly as they take on Chef United next weekend and they need to get back on track and look for a lesser slip-up, don't they? Yeah, it, it must be so difficult. There's only one promotion spot um, and it is so tight at the top of the table, um, particularly when, yeah, they are going against a fully professional side that has an um, investment and backing from a major Premier League club. Um, but yeah, fair credit to them. They've been incredible, incredible all season. Um it will be it will be sad if they fall at the final hurdle, but they yeah it's an incredible job and it's it's a very very difficult division. So all they can really do is just concentrate on the next game and hope they can pick up points where they can. The chasing pack also won Liverpool and Sheffield United a joint third as both had good wins at home. The Reds won five 0 against Coventry United. Rebecca Jane opened the scoring on 22 minutes with Neve Fahi adding a second just a minute later. Carrie Holland continued her good scoring run by adding a third on 52 minutes before Fahi grabbed her second and Liverpool's fourth and Mel Lawley added a fifth six minutes from time. Over in Chesterfield, Katie Wilkinson's early second half goal saw Chef United see off Charlton. Liverpool and the Blaze have the exact same record, played 16-1-9, drawn four, lost three, scored 31 and conceded 12. Beth, that's three wins in a row now for Liverpool. They are starting to show the form that we were expecting from them this season, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I think it's been a challenging season, um, losing their manager, the the um, internal politics, I think, that goes on at Liverpool as well. Um, the way that it's one of the only major men's team that doesn't invest in its women's team, dropping down a division last season when I don't think anyone thought that they would. Yeah, it, it's been it's been a season where they've had to rebuild, and 
it's taken a couple of months, I think, to find their group in the division. But like you say, yeah, a good couple of wins on the bounce is exactly what's needed. Um, some more investment over the summer. And then, yeah, who knows, this time next year, it could be Liverpool at the top of the table and pushing back for promotion to the WSL. I also saw Amber Jameson is giving herself a good chance of landing the job on a permanent basis, isn't she? She definitely is. And I'm going to have to agree with Beth with what she's saying about how it is a massive shame that Liverpool haven't got the backing that other teams have from their Premier League um, brothers, if that's what you want to call them. But I think they're doing really well at building up a case for themselves to say, look, look, look at the football we're producing and look at how well we are doing. We are worth your your time, money and effort and backing, really. And I think um, Liverpool boss, she definitely deserves a permanent role there. She's done really well to build build them back up, really. I, I can remember years ago when I was younger, my dad would take me to like my first um, women's Super League. I can't even remember if that's what it was called back then. Um, a game and Liverpool were like the the big team they were like the massive players and so were Everton and now to see Liverpool fighting the way back up um, I think they definitely deserve to be there if they've been there before and they've got some great players there as well who deserve to be in the top flight of the game definitely well we'll find out soon for that I'm sure for Chef United it's just about finishing the season strongly isn't it to give themselves a good platform to build on for next season uh, I think it's it's, it's the second season in a row now um, where they've come close but not really close enough um, yeah it's, it's another it's another team that in a, in a season's time or in another couple of seasons time again you'd hope would be pushing up for that WSL um, promotion spot um, it must be difficult like I said because there's only one promotion spot to get close and to not really pass that final hurdle but yeah, it, it all comes down to investment and recruiting wisely um, and putting that investment back into your players and your product on the pitch. So, yeah, it'll be an important summer for Sheffield United as well, no doubt. The final game was also a midday kickoff as Blackburn hosted Lewis. Two first half goals from in- Inia Umatong and Welsh defender Rian Cleverly set the visitors on their way before Rachel Lane added a third in the second half. That victory keeps the Sussex side in sixth place. Now, India might not be a country that you think of when it comes to women's football, but the game is growing there and they host two major tournaments next year. Madison Taylor caught up with one of the members of Women's Football India, Philarima Heniwerta, to tell us more. Tamara, how are you? Hi, I'm great. It's great to be here on the show. Really honoured. Thank you. It's lovely having you. How is it over in India in these COVID times? It's a bit difficult, but we're getting by. Just okay. <laughs> so, women's football in India is still quite in its infancy. Do you feel like that is slowly starting to change? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, uh, so women's football in India can be divided into two phases, you could say. There's women's football pre the 90s and post 90s. So pre-90s, it was run by a different organization, and we did pretty well back then. And post-90s, it was run, it's now run by the AFF, and it's starting to grow, starting to pick up pace. And uh, with the Under-17 Women's World Cup and the Asian Cup coming up, so I think I hopefully more people would start to watch the women's game. Yeah, so obviously you just said about the 
uh, Women's Under-17 World Cup. Obviously, 2022 is such a big year for India. You'll be hosting both the Under-17 World Cup oh. and the Asian Cup. Um, how excited are you for India to play in them and to host them? As a fan, I'm very excited. We can't wait. I can't wait to actually uh, attend most of the Asian Cup games because I get to see one of my favourite stars, Samantha. I get to see G and I get to see Saki. I mean, I'm a huge fan of those uh, players. So it'll be very interesting to watch them play live. And also in this perspective of the game as a whole, I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for people to enjoy the women's game life. As it is, we don't really get to watch a lot of women's game in India. So I think this is going to be a very good opportunity. India will hopefully be potentially facing the likes of maybe Australia, New Zealand and South Korea in the Asian Cup. How do you think they will cope against obviously such big teams? I think it's going to be quite a challenge, most definitely, because if we compare our rankings with most of those teams, we're 53, while most of those teams are you know, in the top 10 or the top 20. But I think it's going to be a very good challenge and it's going to be exciting to see our team and women play against them. Yeah, and you've had some, some good challenges recently. India had some friendlies. You had Ukraine last week, uh, Russia a bit more recently. Obviously, playing big teams like this, do you think this helps to push and improve the women's game? Yes, definitely. I mean, uh, exposing our women's team to teams which are of a higher ranking, which are, I would say, way better than us, is going it's great it's it's really motivating and hopefully it is going to prepare them for the other big teams that are going to be there at the asian cup yeah and flamara i've heard you've started a supporters club for the indian national team how did this come about and, and what made you want to start it up uh yeah so this is not just for the national team actually it is a page a platform that we run where we try to promote women's football in India, irrespective of the, how small the tournament is or how big. It doesn't mean that we only support the national teams, but we're also trying to showcase women's football across the country. It can be you know, at a very small grassroots level or at a district level or at state level, but we try to uh, give the fans and connect the fans with more of these tournaments. So it all started with a group of us there's like four of my closest friends and we started it because we got tired of ranting about the fact that there's not much being done to promote the women's game. So that is how we started this and it's been two years and I think it's, I think we've played a, maybe a little part in maybe promoting the game a little bit better. And we obviously know sports like cricket, and hockey are quite big in your country. Do you think that India hosting big tournaments like the Under-17 World Cup and the Asian Cup will hopefully encourage more girls to watch and to play football? Yes, uh, yes, I think that would definitely help them because I think, honestly, I think cricket in India has reached its peak and now football is starting to pick up the pace. So I think hosting such tournaments will actually help accelerate the growth. I've heard that you are uh, sort of just a well-rounded football lover. Um, do you have anyone in particular you follow over in England in the WSL or Championship? Yes, I'm a 
big big fan of Fran Kirby. Oh, <laughs> I've been a fan of yeah. So I'm a Chelsea supporter through and through the men's team as well as the women's team, and a, I'm a big fan of Fran Kirby as well as of course the men's team. I'm a huge fan of Frank Lampard and John and John Terry. So Fran Kirby is definitely my favorite player from the women's league. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. Thank you, Ailsa and Beth, for joining us today. It's been lovely. Take care, and we will be back next week. You can find us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram, the Women's Football Podcast. Take care, and we'll speak to you shortly. Bye.